Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. And hello, everybody. Welcome to Life in the Pit, episode number 46. If you're a new listener, welcome. Uh, thank you for checking out this podcast. Uh, the goal of the podcast is to have a new episode that releases every Friday, and we've been pretty good about that so far. And whether or not you're a new listener or you've been listening for a while, if you haven't already, please click that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're allowed to leave a review, and also uh, a review would be very nice. Please share the episode with your friends. Um, And also, just so you know, you, you can also check out the website for this podcast, which is davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Besides finding a link to every episode that we have put out so far, that is also a place where you can send me feedback. If you have uh, something nice you want to say about the show or maybe even any uh, criticism, you know, feel free to send, send me your comments. Just let me know you've been listening. Um, and there's also a donate button there, and that is the only way that uh, I receive any revenue for the show at all. And so any any amount that you feel inclined to give is uh, most gratefully appreciated. And just because I forgot to mention it last week, Life in the Pit, in addition to all of the other places you can find the podcast, we are now on Pandora as well. So if you'd rather listen to the podcast there than any of the other places it's been, Definitely uh, feel free to check that out. Okay, let's get into today's episode. If you've been listening for a while, I've tried to mention every so often that one of my goals for this podcast is to represent theater and musicians who play for theater all across the world. And that goes without saying, all across the country. This is not a podcast about Broadway. Although we will have Broadway musicians from time to time. We've had a few so far. There are more coming up. But there are there is theater all across the country, all across the world. And I've said from the beginning, I want to hear from people in places I haven't been to. And one of those areas is Wichita, Kansas. Today's guest is Trevor Landreth. And he is a performer educator in the greater Wichita area. He plays percussion. He also teaches drumline uh, for local high schools, which we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about that. We haven't really talked much about drumline before. He's an instructor in percussion at Hutchinson Community College. And he's a percussion coach for the Wichita Youth Wind Ensemble and... He is an active pit player in the Wichita area, so we're going to talk about theater in Wichita, Kansas. Before we had our conversation, I asked Trevor, as I do most of my guests, to to send me some information before we have our conversation. And uh, most of it will get brought up in the interview itself. Uh, But there's something that he wrote that... Uh, I like quite a bit, and I don't think it comes out this directly, although it it definitely comes out in other ways. Trevor has stated that his goal 
is to produce well-rounded percussionists that can confidently step into the world of music and be the best musicians they can be. And pit musicians are definitely well-rounded. Let's talk about that and more. Here's my conversation with Trevor Landreth. So Trevor, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with, uh, well, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what is it that you do? Sure. So I live in uh, the greater Wichita area. Um, I actually live in Wichita, but I kind of work all around there. Uh, I teach at a lot of places. I teach at a couple high schools where I do uh, some drumline work. And then uh, I am an adjunct professor at Hutchinson Community College, um, all percussion based. And then uh, a freelance for the most part. Um, I am a, I'm a part of the pit percussion with Music Theater Wichita. And I, uh, I sub with the symphony and a couple other symphonies around the area and um, a lot of high schools and a lot of musicals with those guys. And uh, yeah, just kind of get work when I get the call and usually take it. Okay, great. Uh, I, I confess that uh, I know Wichita. I guess I should let me just say that again. <clears throat> I confess that I first heard the name Wichita when I was um into college baseball for a little while and it's like you had it was a wichita okay. state was like in the college world series mm-hmm. every year this was like in the well, maybe early 90s or something like that and i don't know maybe there's still a big program okay, but yeah. but uh, but you know the first time i heard of that, I was like where's wichita <laughs> and i had to look it up on a map <laughs> right and, yeah uh but i think it's known yeah, for, yeah it's known for a few other things besides that but um yeah that was just interesting uh where where is uh you know i'd Without me looking, where is Wichita, like, just compared to the other big cities, like Kansas City and so forth? So most of the big cities are, like, on the east side of Kansas. So Kansas City is right on the border. And then if you go a couple hours uh, west, you'll hit Topeka. And then if you go a couple hours, like, southwest, you'd hit Wichita. Okay. Nice. uh, From Topeka. Well, let's, uh, let's look at a little over a year ago, right before everything (laughs) shut down. Uh, what mm-hmm. did a, uh, well, first of all, uh, what kind of shows did you, did you have anything that you were about to play or already playing? Yeah, I got called to play the wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to be uh, the percussion guy for that. And I remember it was like March 10th or something like that. Wow. Um, I was out teaching some classes in Hutchinson and I got an email from our uh, personnel manager and he just said, Hey, look, we don't, we're like, we're not sure at the moment, but it's looking like it's not going to happen. And then like the next day or something, I got another email that said, yep, for sure. We're not doing it. Um, and I had a couple like church gigs and stuff lined up for that. Uh, it was kind of around the Easter time. And so I had a couple Easter services lined up and, um, yeah, they all just ended up cutting out and then it was nothing for a really long time. (laughs) Right. Uh, yeah, I know, um, I was rehearsing Barnum and as a music director and keyboardist, and it, uh, you know, they said, okay, well, we're not going to be able to do this, but um, let's put it off till September. And that lasted two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're going to put it off till uh, April of 2021. <laughs> and then <laughs> finally in March, almost to the exact you know, date of the year <laughs> that had been one year since this whole mm-hmm. thing started. Uh, they said, we're, we're not going to do it. 
we got to return our books, you know. So, <laughs> so yeah. that that was <laughs> you had uh, your books the whole time. Oh yeah, well I had had to. Yeah, we were allowed to keep them, and I don't. I mean, I don't know what kind of rental agreement they had, but it, it was uh, right, right. Yeah. Anyways, that shows. That, so that shows done, and you know, but rebuilding and getting a few new shows. There's some outdoor theater here, and there's some, uh, you know like smaller cast stuff with masks, you know, so, and, and of course live streaming. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's starting to come back, but at the moment that's better news for the actors than it is for pit musicians. You know, we're still not Mm -hmm. getting, um, because one of the things, you know, I feel like, I feel like I've said this before with Broadway. I don't know that I've really said this for community theater and, you know, school theaters and all that, but you got to have a certain budget <laughs> to be able to pay these musicians to come in. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, you know, you're going to be right. doing either non-musicals or musicals with tracks or just an accompanist, you know. So uh, to hire, you yeah. know, all these different musicians to come in. And, you know, w- when you're hiring them, you're not just getting them for the two, three, four weeks of shows, but, you know, often for probably at least four rehearsals, you know, usually two tech week and two before. So, um you know, it does, it does add up. And so you've got to have, yeah, absolutely. got to have full seats, you know, full houses to help mm-hmm. pay for that. Yeah. Um, so we talked about what you were doing a year ago. What is a, what does a COVID year now look like for <laughs> you? <laughs> well, <laughs> so a, a COVID year, um, it's been a COVID year, well, all the freelance <laughs> stuff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, all the freelance stuff was basically out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily I still, uh, since I'm adjunct at the college I'm at, they reached out to me and just said, Hey, uh, you know, we realize that you're not like on full staff, but like, if you want to continue your contract and move online, we'll make sure you're properly compensated and all of that. So luckily I got to retain those classes and, um, what was kind of nice was the high schools I work, uh, I worked at, um, I wasn't able to come in and the band directors were just like, Hey man, like you're fine. Don't even worry about it. Like if we need, if we need your help, we'll call you, but, uh, just chill out, you know, take a breather. Right. And so that was nice. And yeah, coming in back in August, uh, the summer was really, uh, not a lot going on. Um, really musically. I know the city band I was in that they were still playing. And so we had a couple, we had uh, about 10, 10 or so performances and, I mean, it was just uh, marches and stuff like that for the most part, but it was all outside and we were socially distanced and everything. And so that was a lot easier to pull off. And then this past fall, it's just been the academic stuff and going to teaching classes and trying to make, trying to see how, how can we get performance opportunities for these kids and college kids uh, where we can, you know, adhere to the guidelines set by these institutions and by the CDC and all that and, and make it work. And luckily on the percussion side, that was a lot easier than, you know, getting like the concert bands and stuff like that to play. Um, But a lot of the organizations I usually play with, as far as musicals and stuff go, like I know a lot of them have been switching to canned music um, or like you were saying, you know, they just have one accompanist to come and play. And so there hasn't been a whole lot of that, but that's that's a COVID year, I guess. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, you know, it's it's good that you, you had, you know, the classes you're able to keep uh, something going. And, And I feel like, uh, the upside of all of this is that 
we have all gotten a lot better at technology this year. Absolutely. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, just for me, um, I probably, I would say three months into the pandemic, my total number of students was down, but I mm, picked up yeah. a, I picked up a few that were, you know, savvy enough for working online, uh, including, you know, a couple of out-of-state students. I, at one point, I mean, I live in North Carolina, but I... I have a student that was been with me a full year now, and uh, you know she lives in Charleston, South Carolina, and then I had okay. someone else nice. in Indianapolis. You know, so it's so it's kind of cool. So when in person opens up again, I mean, I so the one thing that I'm I'm going to go ahead and boldly predict. I didn't know how how it was going to be, you know, this time last year, but now that we've been out of this for a year, I really think in person learning is going to really go up. You know, I think people oh, yeah. about had it with Zoom and YouTube. <clears throat> <laughs> right. But it's going to be a nice option. It's going to be, you know, I don't I don't know how uh I don't know how Wichita is in the winter. But uh you know, for uh North Carolina, we're in what's called the ice belt. We'll get some snow, but we also get a lot of ice and you know, ice mm. storms, sleet and uh, freezing rain and uh, and of course the the other thing <laughs> about where I live is that it's far enough north to get winter weather, but it's far enough south mm-hmm. that they freak out about it. And <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> so like the grocery stores all get raided. Um, it's right. Like yeah, everyone talks about it on social media and so forth. I, I remember when I was I was in Pennsylvania one time. Um, in January, and it started to snow, and, and no one talked about it. It was like <laughs> I, I was like, that was just quite a concept. But um, you know, that said, no, you know, no one will go out. You know, when it is snowing, and mm-hmm. I, and it's kind of hard to blame them, especially the ice is treacherous. You know, on the roads around here. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been thinking for years. It would be really cool to have students knowing how to use Zoom or Skype or FaceTime and. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, now we got that as a choice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I'm lucky enough now to have some in-person students again, and that's absolutely been nice. That if you know, because life happens, and so you know, they miss a lesson or, or something comes up for me, and being able to reach out and say, "Hey, you know, I like I know we missed tonight or whatever, but like I have all of this time if you want to do online." And a lot of them are like, "Yes, yeah, so let's you know, let's do that." They'd rather get the full lesson however they can. And if they don't have to leave their house, that's just an added bonus. And then we don't lose any, uh, we don't lose any lessons during the month, which is really nice. Right. Yeah. And, and I confess I've had a few lessons or a few lesson days where, um, <laughs> I just really had the urge for a nap. So it was, so I had it in my own bed <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I got up five minutes before lesson time, you know, I was like, that's, that's, that's really right. handy. <laughs> Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I might get spoiled of that. What point in your life did you realize that you wanted to be a professional musician and what, you know, what were So what were your ideas at the time and how did that differ from where you ended up? Sure. When I was in high school, um I had a I had a band director uh who was really passionate about music and I he and I really had a connection, I thought, and um I was all about it. I wanted to be in the ensembles. I wanted to play all the time. And at the time, 
And really music, honestly, was the only thing I was good at. I was not a great student growing up, but I always was good at music. And it, that was something that really just kind of clicked. And I remember I was always working on these like rudimental marching snare drum solos just all the time. And I thought I was going to, you know, get out into college and be like a professional marching drummer, mm-hmm. whatever that would have looked like. Right. And uh, then, I yeah, and I got to college and I had a rude awakening of, well... You know, that's not really a thing. And the guy, you know, the guys that do that all march drum corps. Uh, and then they got back into it and they're the guys now. And so that's when I kind of got into the orchestral world. And um, I uh, kind of just started going from there. And I got asked to do musicals when I was in college a lot. Uh, they kind of asked some of the older kids. And I was there at a time where... Um, I was one of the older kids, even, even as a sophomore or junior. And so uh, I got asked to play drum set a lot uh, for those things and mm-hmm. just got into it, and I loved it. Right. And so uh, just kind of stuck with that. I never really pictured myself as, you know, being a, a strictly a timpanist or strictly a marimbist or anything like that. I always kind of I always wanted to play everything all the time. And so musicals are a great way to express that and do that. Right. What was your first show? My first show was All Shook Up. Nice. Which was, you know, just Elvis rock and roll the whole way. <laughs> um, right. And actually, the lead actor and I, uh, I think something happened, and we met outside of it, and we're actually still, like, talk to each other and things like that to this day, even, you know, nine or ten years later. Right. So you were talking about, um, you know, <laughs> when you get to you got to college, you had that rude awakening, and... You know, you you didn't end up quite where you thought that you were. Uh, That uh, I just recently read a book called "Think Again" by Adam Grant. I've read a couple of his books uh, before then, and it had so many quotable moments. And one of them was, "People who are most certain about what they what they're going to do for their career when they're twenty." are often some of the people with the biggest regrets when they're 30. And and I think when I interpret that, it's it's not just you, you know what you want to do, but you're so gung-ho that you don't follow the signs to diverge or try something mm-hmm. new when opportunity presents itself. And yeah. so you end up kind of sticking with that path. And that really resonated strong with strong with me because because I knew at age 20 that I was going to be, you know, not just score films. I do score films, but I was going to be a, a Hollywood film composer. I was going to to do all that. Oh, but I didn't, right. uh, you know, <laughs> but I was 20. I didn't know what that entailed. I didn't realize that we mm-hmm. were entering the era where, you know, you couldn't just like to write that kind of music. I, I mean, I like to write like John Williams. Uh, while I was in school, Hans Zimmer was kind of making his rise in the industry. And mm-hmm. that, um, in so many ways, I mean, you could write a book about it. Uh, his <laughs> rise changed everything about you know, the, the mm-hmm. way music is approached and the whole uh, hierarchy of composers and um and I didn't even really realize that. And, of course, I didn't even realize, really think, do I want to move to L.A.? <laughs> you know, not until, <laughs> right. I, went, not until I actually yeah, yeah. went out there and realized, you know, I, I really don't see myself moving here. 
Um, it, there are so many things that, it, and and it took me forever to just say, look, it's okay to score films without this being, you know, the goal anymore. <laughs> and, you know, it mm-hmm. took me a while to let myself uh, find different paths. And it was way into my 30s. You know, when I was 30, I was like, what am I doing? Uh, it, it was so weird to have known <laughs> what I was going to do at 20 and be asking what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. When I'm yeah. 30, you know. So one thing that I notice with a lot of the guests on the show is kind of that common story. I, I, I haven't really heard anybody say, you know, I was 10 years old and I decided I wanted to play in, you know, a theater pit and, and that's what I was right. going to do. Um, <laughs> I mean, even the two Broadway guests we've had so far and also the third one that's coming up and none of them said doing Broadway pit was on their top of their list. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them were just like, I just want to be in, in New York and get opportunities and being open to those opportunities, they found the pit. Right. And, uh, so, you know, it's just something I just wanted to chase down, you know, just, um, you know, for, for all the listeners out there, uh, don't be too sure of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of a recipe for (laughs) unhappiness. You know, it's, it's okay to diverge. And, uh, you know, I can say, uh, even though I, I've scored very few films, so much of what I learned I'm, you know, I'm using that. I mean, I learned how to use logic, you know, from, uh, from scoring films and and that's what I'm recording this podcast on (laughs) just for starters. (laughs) Um, I have recorded rehearsal tracks, performance tracks. It's really the same concept. And of course, you know, composing and arranging, you know, there's basically being musicians, having a set of tools and, you know, who who knows how those tools will Mm -hmm. get used. (laughs) Um, Definitely, yeah. So you've had quite a few shows that you've done before. Uh, some of the ones that you shared with me in advance, um, you know, it's, it's a nice mix of older and uh, more recent shows. Of course, you've got um, Fiddler on the Roof and the Mikado and Singing in the Rain, mm-hmm. South Pacific in there. Uh, you mentioned All Shook Up already. Um one that really stuck out at me because because it is not a classic. It's In the Heights. And I imagine, first of all, that was probably yeah. a lot of fun on the percussion. It was a lot of fun and a lot of work. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, luckily, yeah, luckily uh, we so we played the the two percussion part plus drum set, and the guy that I was playing with uh, was from Cuba. Oh, nice. or not Cuba? I'm sorry, Puerto Rico. Hmm. Yeah, and so um, there. There were. I remember I came in with a cowbell and I just had this little salsa cowbell thing. <laughs> and he goes, "Oh no, that's not that's not what you need. I I have something for you." And so he pulled out this big old honking cowbell, and he showed me how to do like a three-two clave pattern on it, and something I had never seen before. And like, I mean, I used it, and it was it. You know, it's just those little things that he knew was, was little in, uh, pieces of information that made the show that much more authentic. I saw it. And yeah, that, that whole show was just a lot of fun. Nice. Now I'm imagining a meme, you know, with the crocodile Dundee guy, or maybe Christopher Walken dressed as him saying, that ain't no cowbell. <laughs> That's a cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what it was like. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a very rhythmic show. Um, what are some of the places where, where have you played these shows and what types of theaters and venues? Sure. So, um, 
Primarily, I mean, when I get called, I usually play at like colleges or high schools and I get, I get hired out. Um, and those can range to, you know, a, a full pit uh, with a stage and apron and, and, and everything uh, to, so playing in that and then playing in uh, Wichita is kind of big theater century two, which is the same. They have a, a pit that rises up from the basement and things like that. And uh, really nice played in places like that to, you know, high schools that where I have to set up my entire rig from like the first row of seats to the stage. <laughs> right. And that's just where we're at, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, that's primarily a lot of, a lot of where I, where I played as far as musicals go. From a pit musician's perspective, what is the theater scene like in Wichita? So it's, uh, like I said, it's primarily academic, um, Wichita has something called the Jester Awards, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if that's a national thing and maybe we just participate locally or if it's just specific to Wichita, but it's a it's a uh, it's an award ceremony, uh, kind of like the I mean like the Tonys or the Golden Globes or something where uh, schools can volunteer to participate and uh, win awards. Actually, one of my friends uh, who works at a high school here in town. Uh, he last year won, uh, I think it was either, I think it was best orchestra direction or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, the directors can win, uh, some of the, some of the, uh, student actors and things they can win like best lead role or best supporting actor. So the theater scene is actually pretty, pretty intense as far as like, uh, high schools, uh, the high school scene goes. So there's always some work there. Um, and there was the colleges, Wichita State and Friends University both have pretty good theater programs uh, put on, you know, three or four shows a year as far as musicals go. Uh, and then there's the Music Theater Wichita, which is kind of the big one um, that happens in the summer. Nice. Good. Um, you know, so I know that, uh, so there've been other percussionists on the show and, and I know at least one, probably more of them have worked as drumline instructors. So I, I know for a fact that Jim Brand on episode three was, uh, was one of those and he, he, he still does that. Uh, but we never really talked about that you may, because, you know, the focus of this podcast has been what do pit musicians do? But I think, you know, now we're on, uh, episode 46, um, you know, now that we're, you know, that's quite a few episodes getting into it. And, and it's kind of nice to say, well, what are some of the other things that theater musicians do? We may have some people that, okay, we know what pit musicians do, but what, what else do they do? Um, what, what is being a drumline instructor involve? And, you know, what, what, what kind of skills does that require to, to, to do that job well? <laughs> sure. So, uh, I, I think everybody approaches that a little bit differently. Uh, when I when I was in my undergrad in marching in, in the marching band, uh, we had uh, his staff sergeant, Constantine, who's part of the president's own Marine band. He came out and he was our drumline instructor. So my approach has always been pretty militaristic, mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> right. Um, and yeah. And so uh, as far as like the teaching part of it goes, uh it's quite a bit of, um, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, like strength training almost. Right. And uh, cardio and things like that, you know, getting used to the weight of the drums um, in terms of marching and even just being able to lift them on your own. <laughs> right. Uh, 
sometimes we have these little tiny high schoolers that we're putting on, you know, the biggest bass drum or something like that. And they about fall over. But, uh, so as far as that goes, a lot of that kind of stuff, and then pretty strict regiment in terms of, uh, exercise routine, warm up packets and things like that. Uh, the, the guys that I know that do it myself included, typically when we get hired out, uh, you know, we'll, uh, it, if someone's bought stock charts or uh, if you're part of the arranging the arranging team, uh, you take part either wholly or partially in writing and rewriting or writing the drumline parts. So when they play, they're actually playing what you wrote and uh, everyone does that a little bit differently, but it usually adds a little bit of flavor to the, uh, to the group and teaching three groups now, uh, two high schools and then, uh, at Wichita state, uh, you know, all three of those groups kind of play with their drum lines anyway, play with kind of the same flavor that I, that I teach them. Um, so yeah, I mean, just working in, in proximity with the band director, trying to make their vision a reality and things like that. And right. It's pretty, uh, a lot of tech technical stuff. <laughs> right. Uh, now as a performer, uh, did did you have any drumline experience with say you know like a, a college marching band or even like drum and bugle corps? I I was not uh, well being in Kansas. We actually don't. The nearest drum corps is Blue Knights in Colorado. Oh wow! Uh, <laughs> I never unfortunately was able to experience that. Uh, I have friends that did though, and when I was in college, I marched for seven years. I think. Uh, about five or six, about five of those, I think, were as the section leader in the center snare position. Um, I had friends and stuff that uh, were fortunate, you know. By the time, by that time, I was already uh, aged out. But I had friends that would come in that were younger, and I'd help them work on their stuff and get them off to uh, get them off to auditions that they would win. Thank goodness. <laughs> right. Uh, I had a friend that marched. Uh, I helped her quite a bit with. Um, her audition for Santa Clara out in California. And she was able to audition and, and get that position for a year, uh, playing in the pit. And so, yeah, it was good stuff. Nice. Yeah. Um, I, one of my, my best friends from childhood, uh, he played trombone and euphonium and pretty much at some point just, you know, di didn't play trombone, but just played euphonium. But he did, uh, Southwind Drum and Bugle Corps, and it was out of Montgomery, Alabama, and we lived in Florida, so that okay. was that was about maybe two hours away from where. <laughs> where well, I lived in Florida; he lived in South Alabama, which is like on the Florida line. But yeah, still two hour drive for him. Sure. Um, he 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 said at the time, and I think he still feels this way: life changing, you know, in terms of not just as a musician, but just the whole experience, you know, like you said, it's, it was a bit like being mm -hmm. in the army. I mean, they had to, you know, they, they camped, they slept there and they had to get up basically at dawn and go through routines. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, um, have you ever played Legally Blonde? I haven't. No. no. Uh, I, I want to see that done sometime <laughs> the way it calls for it in uh, the book. with the whole marching band, right? Yeah, yeah. It, there's actually like a drumline marching band, you know, that comes in during the the What You Want song in Act One. You know, so mm -hmm. it, so what's always happened? I've done that show <laughs> twice, and I know uh, another theater in this area has put on that show, 
uh, in the last few years. And it's always basically the pit percussionist doing the best he can <laughs> or the best she can, right. you know, with all of, uh, that's a, all that, of that. That's yeah. a good way to describe the pit percussionist just doing the best they can. Right. <laughs> Playing in the pits. Do you have a horror story you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I have one that really sticks out in my head. Um, actually I have two, I guess. Uh, one of them was kind of in the moment and one was a rehearsal thing, but the one with the rehearsal we were playing, I think it was for Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was the to life sequence. Yeah. Um, and the choreographer had choreographed along to the movie version of that tune. Oh, instead of the, uh, the, the, uh, orchestration or orchestrated version that we had. Mm. Uh, so it ended up being like the first page and then you had to jump to the, like the finale or something like that for oh, a page and a half and then back to the, to the original tune and then play that out and then go back and play the first page. It was just a mess. And I don't think we ever real. I don't think we all were really on the same page until like two or three nights before the opening night. Uh, <laughs> But I just remember that being a pain in the butt. And the director was always, you know, we'd play it and they were getting into it. And it was just a, a hot mess. Um, but then, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, you might ap- appreciate this other one. This one was in the moment. I think we were doing American in Paris. It was American in Paris or in the Heights. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It might have been in the Heights. I think right. when after intermission the lights come up and there's the uh the scene where i can't remember their names but two of the characters in the show had been together the night before and it's like the morning after kind of thing mm-hmm. and there's like a keyboard uh intro and that was the cue for the rest of us to come in and we all were watching him and he played it and there was no sound no oh. and something had happened uh, the patch on his computer or something was busted and he and our director was like, it's it's you. And he's looking like I, he's mouthing the words. I have no sound. <laughs> and eventually it felt like forever, but it was probably like 15 seconds. Right. Of uh, he he eventually went in like the second keyboardist had to like get up and let him take her keyboard. <laughs> and he got in there and he just played it with the normal keyboard sound. And we and we kept the show rolling. But it was just that moment of like where there's a full house out and. Right. We have no sound. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I've 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 had that happen before. It's uh, it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> you, your uh, your first story though, it made me think of. Um, there's a theater that I work closely with that has done the Rocky Horror Show. Um, okay. Several times. I th- I think they've done it four times now, and it's it's one they're like they were just about ready to start making it an annual event, you know, because it's 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 kind of a signature sure. thing. I was to music direct the second time they had done it and first time they'd done it in seven years. And I think just kind of looking at the budget that year, they decided that even though they used, they'd used a band the first time around, they were just going to use tracks the second time. Well, um, so okay. we got the tracks and, uh, you know, the director wisely said, why don't you listen to those that follow with the score? Just make sure that, you know, that it suits you know that it's it all works well so i did and first thing i noticed is that the song time warp was not the same structure you know it was 
um, you know, what okay. like with verse and chorus, all that, it's like the, there were repeats and there were cuts that, you know, in that were happening in the tracks that did not match up at all. Uh, and never mind, it was also no. was not in the same key. You know, I mean, you know, with tracks, that's not a big <laughs> deal. You know, we'll just everyone's transposing. But it took about maybe a half hour of kind of messing around before I realized what I was listening to. It was not tracks for the show it was a karaoke track for the movie (laughs) (laughs) oh that's fantastic (laughs) so the director you know he said okay well um all right i guess we'll uh, he didn't want to he didn't have to pay a band you know uh for every performance so it's like can we get the band together rehearse and then make a recording you know so make our own tracks was basically Mm -hmm. um sure well thankfully we know i was able to kind of look at one of the songs and um and i'm not sure what the name of the song is off the top of my head but it has this really quick uh measure vamp and okay and i bet it goes about 20 times when the actor comes in to sing the accompaniment doesn't change right away. It's like, it's like you, if you're playing live, you know that he's singing and now you're counting away from that vamp, but, but you're still playing right. the same pattern. So it's like the actor has to sing a certain number of times. So that actor, he's doing all these lines, you know, he says all of his lines and then he starts to sing. If you were to try to do that show with tracks, you, <laughs> You'd have to have kind of almost a supernatural ability to stay in character, deliver your lines, and keep count of what's going on, or right. or have some kind of very yeah. obvious little triangle hit or or something in there. But anyways, we <laughs> right. we, we were able to all agree. Uh, I know you didn't budget, you know, a band for this show, but that is if you want to keep this show and have it not suck really bad <laughs> you might want to get the band right. and that's the only that is the only show <laughs> where i had that where i hired a band after the rehearsals had started you know so it, it was fact, it was yeah. tough to get everybody together uh, enough so that you know when we did the last week uh it, we did i think it was a six-piece band there were only two of us that were still from the previous week it's like the other four parts had subs mm. already <laughs> Oh, there you uh, go. Let's go 180 yeah. degrees though. What was it? What's a really fond memory from playing in the pit? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, the first time I played Susical, mm-hmm. uh, I was in, I was at a new location. It was a new theater mm-hmm. and, uh, I had, it was my first big show in town when I had first moved down to Wichita and, uh, we got to our, and you're familiar with Susical? Uh, I, I know the show, but I've never played it. So. Okay. Uh, there's a character that, that supposedly uh, supposedly dies, and the cat in the hat comes out, and he's it's a big ad-lib scene. But I had my triangle um, mounted up actually on the stage. So mm. I didn't have, like, stand space to have my triangle mounted, and so there was, like, a pipe or a, a ledge or something that I had it mounted to, so I could just, like, reach up and hit it real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh and I'm just like sitting at my drum set, kind of just waiting. I'm like, all right, you know, come on, let's get to the next tune. And um, I hear this, is that a triangle behind <laughs> me? And the cat in the hat is like, 
waist down in the pit with his legs like in the air pointing <laughs> at it and i'm like uh and this is i i think this is like opening night or something and i'm like uh yeah it is and he goes can i hit it and i like hand him up a triangle beater and he hit it and he just thank you and gave it back and it was oh man and one of the, another one of those moments where we talked afterward and we're still great friends now. And yeah. I still, I, he just did some music that I helped him with and, nice. uh, yeah, but that's always stuck out in my mind. Nice. Um, so I don't, I don't ask this to everybody, but you know, especially, uh, you know, just given your experience, you know, with the wide range of percussion, um, is there advice that you'd give to percussionists who want to become professional players? Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you know, practice everything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was instilled in me a little too late. I think <laughs> it was, it was when I was in college when it was kind of like, you know, you need to practice marimba, snare drum, drum set, timpani, all of that stuff. And then all the millions of the other instruments that we need right. to play. But, uh, you know, be open to trying new things. Anytime you get asked to play an instrument that you don't know, just say yes, because chances are, I mean, it's relatively close to something you do know how to play. Right. And you don't have to be a specific player of something. Like, that was the trap I fell in was, mm-hmm. I remember people were saying, you got it, like, you want to be a tempest, don't you? You want to win gigs and get auditions and stuff. And it never really sat well with me, and I always wanted to play everything. And so, like, you'd you the cool thing about percussion is you really get to like choose your own path and who right. you want to be in like the world of music you know right uh i you know i'm there there may be people uh and if you listen to the show and you disagree you know go ahead and tell me i think that what you just said is an outdated model uh, that a lot okay. of orchestras hold on to. Uh, no, no, not what you said, but but what you said. Oh. But no, no, no. What? Not not your advice, but the whole. If you want to win timpani, you know, you've got to be, you've got mm-hmm. to be specific. You've got to specialize that. Uh, I really think that the age of instrumental specialists, it's it's definitely <laughs> uh, it's on the it's on the way on the decline, I guess that's the best way I can yeah. say. Um, it, it was something that I heard, um, David Cutler say in a podcast. And I think, I think it's like a quote from his book, the savvy musician. And he says, um, one, uh, a video with one musician playing four different instruments will get more views than four musicians playing the same <laughs> instrument, you know? So like if you right. have like four right. trumpet players or whatever, you know, but, um, yeah, but, but, you know, the whole, the whole point is that is, um, kind of where we're headed. <laughs> you know, I, I think, uh, it, it's, and, and also it's just like the 21st century market, you know, what is, what is it called for? Mm-hmm. Um, and just the fact that, um, I mean, how many orchestras out there can pay a living wage to a tempest, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, um, you know, I've lived in a couple of major cities that are, you know, obviously not New York or Chicago or L.A. or anywhere like that. But, you know, with, uh, you know, metro areas uh, of about a million, you know, or so. And um, and I know that every everybody in that orchestra that I know is doing other gigs on the side, you know, or teaching right. or doing yeah. something because the orchestra can basically only pay them 
per service. You know, it's not a salary mm-hmm. position. So uh, I really think if you if you're a musician and your goal is to play full time in an orchestra, just just know that you're you're not talking about one of you know four or five hundred orchestras. You're talking about one of maybe what. 10 or 11, <laughs> you know, in the country, right. you know, that, uh, right. that might be able to do that in the world, you know, may, maybe you get, you know, more than that. But, uh, but I just, and I think that number's going down, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's very few orchestras that have the clout and the tradition, you know, I think if you live in London, you know, or Berlin, you know, you're always going to have that option, you know, New York, you know, I think so it's going to be right up there. Um, but you know, if you're in if you're in Wichita, if you're in you know Greensboro, <laughs> uh, if you're anywhere <laughs> like that, um, you need to be diverse. Yeah, as you said, don't don't say no to any experience because you might need it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, are there any other projects going on that we haven't talked about? Anything? Anything? Uh- well, I guess one thing I kind of forgot to mention was, you know, you asked me about performance opportunities during during COVID and that summer. I kind of took on a project. Um, I remember when I was in college, my uh, my percussion professor always when he would show us new tunes, especially in our younger years, you know, when he either knew them or could just sight read them real quick. Um, he would play them, and I remember him saying something along the lines of like man, I wish I had just like a video collection of like me playing these pieces that, so whenever I have students learning these pieces, I can just share with the link with them and they can just go and, and get that for reference, you know? And so I kind of started that. I, I started recording um, out of the uh, uh, method book, uh, Dale Cluse's snare drum method book and uh, Cerrone's method book and a few marimba solos that I could get under my belt real quick and, I was uploading to YouTube about once a week, and then uh, once August came and school started back up again, you know, that kind of put a halt to everything, and, and I haven't uploaded in a while. But that was really, you know, like like you were saying earlier also, like we had to get kind of technologically savvy really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I got into all that and really tried to make that work. And, yeah, and I've been able to use it a couple times now. I, I had a student who's just now playing Yellow After the Rain, uh, by Mitchell Peters, and I just shot her my YouTube link, and now she can just see me play that if she ever needs a reference to it. Nice. Amidst all the other hundreds of great recordings of that tune, you know, but right. that was just a fun little thing I was able to do. Nice. Yeah. Um, where can people follow you or any of your projects if they want to just find out more about you and what you're doing? Sure. So I'm probably most active as far as like musically on Instagram. Um, and kind of the same thing with archival. I usually, those are just primarily pictures of my setups. So if you ever right. like me to help getting a setup, you can like get on there and check those out. Um, I'm on Twitter too. Uh, and both have the same handle T Landris, uh, P E R C T Landris perk. Right. Uh, I'm actually on a movie podcast with my brother-in-law and that's more for what my Twitter is used for, but the music stuff is on, uh, on Instagram. Okay. What's your movie podcast? Uh, it's called the uh, uh, the Couch Critics. Oh, okay. Um, and we, it's yeah, we're all. I mean, yeah, it's just two dudes and uh, and uh, it's my brother brother in law, me and uh, his wife, and uh, 
which I guess is my sister. <laughs> okay. But uh, we just uh, talk about movies. We go and see them about every every week and talk about the new stuff coming out. Nice. All right. Uh, anyways, well, thanks for uh, taking time to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And that wraps up episode number 46. And I'll confess, when I was editing this conversation, I was kicking myself for letting a good opportunity to go by when I asked him what he was doing when the pandemic happened. And he said he was doing The Wizard of Oz. And he lives in Kansas. I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere. Episode 47 will be with you next week. It'll be released and made available on Friday, April 30th. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, I want to give a special thank you to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast, leave feedback, or leave a donation through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app, and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening. 